What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 18. My name is Zach, and joining me as always is Ben Fisher. Ben, how's it going? Hey, dude. So as you know, I was a little bit late to recording today, and it was actually because right out as soon as I got out of school, I was driving around for a while. As, my, as the listeners definitely don't know, I'm lactose intolerant, and I'm running out of lactate, which is the stuff you take to make you not lactose intolerant. And I drove to every single place that sells it in like a 30-minute radius for me, and none of them have like the good, right kind. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Oof. How, how long do you have? What's the timer like? <laughs> uh, I, I give myself a week before I run out. Oh, hopefully you'll be able to find that somebody restocks it within the next week. Well, I mean, I, I could also just stop eating dairy, but... Um, also, have you ever heard of Amazon? Like, <laughs> they deliver things right to your house. It's pretty great. I mean, yeah, but I, I guess so. But I, I think the easiest thing for me to just, like, stop eating dairy, which is what most people tell me to do, but um, not unlike uh, taking off the one ring, y- you know, it, there's a lot of things that seem like it would point you towards doing it, right? It, it, it's horrible, and it, it hurts you and destroys you, and people look at you and say, what's wrong with you? But, you know, you just kind of want to keep eating dairy sometimes. Dude, I totally get that. My wife is lactose intolerant and gluten intolerant and uh, can't eat a bunch of other things due to other health problems. So mm-hmm. I totally get that. It, it's it's a it's a pain to not be able to eat dairy. There's dairy in most things. That's not accurate. Yeah. But <laughs> all, all, all the good things. At least. Yeah. I mean, what do you do without cheese? Like, how do you survive? <laughs> anyway, anyway, speaking of cheesy intros. <laughs> yeah. Geez. Um. Before we get into our main topic this week, we want to plug our sponsor, MTG Arena Zone. That's mtgazone.com. It's your top destination for all Magic the Gathering arena articles, community, decks, news, and more. And they have plenty of content for constructed and limited players alike, from top archetypes to theory articles and, and things of that nature. And with the way Standard is shaken out and is actually playable and such, they're the place you want to be to look at whatever is the next best deck. And uh, they just recently posted an article on like best decks to beat Yorian, which is kind of the, the big bad at the moment. So, mm-hmm. uh, But they yeah. also do tons of stuff on Limited, too. So check that out and uh, let them know we sent you. We That's also right. are brought to you by the Patreon Patreon is uh, the place you can go to give back to the show directly to support us and support the community that we're we're building here as well. Most of those proceeds are we're trying to put everything back into the show. So uh, in some way, shape or form, whether it's through giveaways or upgrading audio equipment, things of that nature. Uh, so if you're interested in giving back to the show directly, that's the place to do it. Patreon.com forward slash draft pod. But this week we are we're about halfway through the format of Zendikar Rising. Right, Ben? We've got um a few more months, maybe maybe two and a half-ish months before the next set comes out. And so we kind of wanted to do a little bit of a check-in, sort of a halfway through, halfway stop kind of show, and just discuss where we've seen the format headed, where it's been, where where we think it's going, uh, our thoughts in general on the format right now. Yeah, that that's kind of the agenda for today's episode. Mm-hmm. Of course. So since we're halfway through the format, one might even call it half chaff. Oh, Maybe. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. You could call it that. Uh, one other thing before we jump into that is uh, the Discord. Check out the Discord. It's completely free. Uh, it's a nice little server we've put together to uh, just get all of our listeners in one place and discussing everything they love. Limited. We've opened a few constructed channels over there as well, and the discussions have been flowing. So check that out. The uh, link to that is in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page at DraftChaffBot, and we're just shy of 50 followers on Twitter. I would really love to get to 50 and do some kind of giveaway to commemorate that, so. Oh, yeah, totally. That'd be sweet. We're actually, are we at 50 on our on our Discord, too? We're probably close, right? We are close. I'm not sure the exact number off the top of my head. Well, speaking of Discord, I want to shout out OD, who's uh, just posted a, a, a Sultai Titan's Nest deck. I cannot wait to try this out in Standard. I, I need some new decks to try out. I've been loving Green Black Rock nonsense with adventures and such, but this one looks like fun. Yeah, sounds interesting. But let's get to some limited content, shall we? We've got our Kraken Draft type thing. I think you've got another pack for us to open. I do. I do indeed. Yep. Uh, got one last pack of Zendikar Rising here. After this, we're probably going to switch back to doing, um, whether it's ones that our, our listeners send to us, interesting picks, or ones that we see ourselves as we're drafting. This doesn't have to be a pack one, pick one like we're kind of doing with this, but this is just what we're doing because we have some physical packs and it feels good to hold some paper cards again. So first up, we got Kabira Outrider. What do you think of this? I found it decently playable. Yeah, it's fine. Not something I'm first picking, but it'll make my make the cut uh, every now and then. I found it to be a nice little top end sometimes. When you manage to get a nice red-white deck together and you, as this format allows you to, 
uh, have a good variance in your party. This is reasonably pumping for plus three, plus three. Next up, we've got Inordinate Rage. Nah, haven't liked this, although the Scry 1 I have found to be a little bit more useful than this card appears. Next up, we've got Into the Royal. Love Into yep, the Royal. That's, uh, that's probably the pick here. It's yeah, it, it's going to be pronounced. Yeah, well, it's it's better than most, co- pretty much every common. It's better than most uncommons and even a lot of the rares in the set. So Great to set you up for the Wizards deck or anything else that's doing blue. I, do, do blue decks ever cut into the Royal? I don't think so, right? They shouldn't be. Next up, we've got Reclaim the Waste, uh, allowing all sorts of splashing nonsense. I found it to be just fine in the straight-up blue-green kicker deck as well. That deck usually wants to hit its sixth and seventh land drops. We got a Nimana Skitter Sneak, which has killed me every once in a while, I'll admit, although usually this, it's just okay. Uh, we got a Tajuru Blightblade, nice rogue for green, just in case you want to enable the party stuff in green decks. Green, uh, as it's not one of the main party colors, it kind of has a, a big spread of stuff, so I, I like picking up a Blight Blade. It does tend to one for one, and that's all you can really ask of a one drop, right? Yeah, Into the Royal is still the pick here, but um, I don't mind picking up a Blight Blade or two for my green decks. You got an Expedition Diviner. No thanks, I'm still on Into the Royal here. This is Zendikon, which cute on Fliplands, but besides that, it's not a great card. Ooh, hold on. I got a Prowling Felidar here, but it's an alt art one. It's got the special Zendikar Adventure border. That's Very sweet. Nice. I don't think I have many of these yet. I'll take it. It's solid, but, you know, nothing fantastic. Wow, after that, I got a Canopy Veiloth, and it also has the special Zendikar alt art. Man, they're Very all nice. coming to this one pack. I don't think I've seen any before this. Yeah, again, sweet card. Very good. Giving plus two, plus two on landfall makes this thing whack for a million, but this thing can be scary. What is wrong with this pack? Even my first uncommon is a Zendikar Adventure art, but uh, it's just a Skyclave pickaxe. I'm still on the end of the row here. How about you? Yeah, absolutely. Felidar is a good card, and of course Canopy Bailoth is probably the best green common or very close to it. Yeah, I, it's they're still, they still don't come close to Into the Royal for me. Yep. All right. My, my streak of opening alt art cards, although three in a row is pretty sick, has ended, unfortunately, with a Merfolk Falconer, which is possibly my pick here. That's a tough call because Falconer is definitely one of the better uncommons that we have have access to. And while it makes you feel like it needs to be in a kicker deck, it really doesn't. Yeah, no, this is one of the few ways that like a blue white deck can come together when it's just like a skies or solid threat flyers. And I, I think this is going to go pretty easily in any blue deck and you'll be happy to play just a big old wind elemental, right? Next up, we've got Skyclave Cleric. Uh, a flip land from this pack so on one side it's a land enters tap taps for white the other side is a two mana one three cleric that when it etbs you gain two life i like this in the black white clerics deck but um besides that you, you always put it in it's nothing fantastic yeah uh, i'm a bit lower on the mdfcs than i think pretty much everybody was early on in the format and skyclave cleric was never high on my list even when i was high on mdfcs mm-hmm. uh so I, i'm still looking to take either falconer or into the royal here they, they put you in a weird situation having the two of these cards in the same pack though because you're you're passing a pack if you take falconer or into the royal you're passing a pack and telling your opponent or telling telling the person to your left you you drafted a common or an uncommon instead of the rare and you're passing a good blue card no matter which of the two you take so it, mm-hmm. it's you're pr- pretty much especially given that when you take falconer out given the information we have now if you take falconer or into the royal out of the pack the other is the best card in the pack so far. So yeah, you're, you're almost guaranteeing you put your opponent in blue, which uh, is awkward. Yep, for sure. Um, I do think Falconer is the pick here so far, but maybe it's possible if the person to left takes a green rare or something, they just snag the Canopy Bailoth or something. Skyclave Pickaxe and Skyclave Cleric, neither of them are very impressive, but let's check out our rare and see what we've got. Hmm, interesting one. We got a soul shatter here. That's two and a black. Each opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker with the highest converted mana cost among creatures and planeswalkers they control. And it's an instant. This is a great removal spell and also has my favorite art in the set. Yeah, so soul shatter is an interesting rare here because I think it's good enough because it's removal and it's one of those edict effects that actually does what you want it to do. Mm. I think it's powerful enough to take over Falconer and into the royal here. And you're not passing any other good black cards. Are there any black cards in this pack so far? I don't think there were. Actually, I don't think there was a single black card in this. Oh, no, there's the one, the Mana Skitter Sneak. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, But you're passing a a Skitter Sneak, which isn't a high pick for black decks anyway. Uh, It'll make the cut in some of them, but it's something you can very easily wheel. And so you're you're giving less signals if you take the Soul Shatter, which I think is pretty close to the, the strongest card in the pack. And 
sure you're kind of cementing your opponent like the person to your left or maybe the next person to them is going into blue but you're not sending any signals about black first pack sig- or first pick signals are, are a little bit iffy to take full reads on but i don't know i like taking the soul shatter to give up less information to my my opponent Yep, uh, I, I wouldn't even need that much justification. I'm just slamming the soul shatter. I, I've had, found this card to be pretty great. And also, I love that art. It's beautiful. Uh, that's not why you should take it, though. <laughs> take it because it's a good removal spell. By the way, be sure to stick around for the uh, sign-off this week. We've got something really spicy to announce. All right, let's get into our Teferi and Tibble. For those that are new here, it's kind of like a Roses and Thorns. It's like a weekly check-in where we talk about one high from the week, one low from the week. You want to start us off, Zach? Yeah, so... My wife and I have been looking to get a puppy. We got a puppy. We put a deposit down on a puppy. She's a border collie. We're both super excited about it. And uh, we started getting like I I did this mass bulk order of like the crate, a bunch of treats, food, collars, leashes, all that kind of stuff. And all that has started. Exactly. All of that has started to roll in uh, in the last week or so. So it's starting to get very real. We have the the crate set up in our room here and uh, a big pile of of dog accoutrement in the room as well um so the excitement is super real my tibble this week is that i actually had the timing setups wrong like in my head uh so for those that don't know typically you really don't want to separate a puppy from its mother and the rest of the litter prior to eight weeks old uh there are some behavioral issues that can arise from from separating the puppy from the litter at before that age so eight weeks is kind of the cutoff and some states actually have laws against bringing home a dog before that age. Hmm. Uh, Jersey's not one of them, but uh, some do. <laughs> Cruel. We're, we, we raise our puppies on the streets here in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so long story short, I thought we were picking up the puppy this Friday, but it's actually the 30th, which is sad face because I really want to meet her. But yeah, we're getting a dog though. So that's, that's fun. That's going to be great. Yeah. I'm so uh, excited. I- Personally, I'm excited to hear like barking in the background of the podcast. And I think the listeners will love it or hate it. You're going to have to appreciate it because that's that's just going to be how it is. Yeah, um, yeah I think that's going to be almost impossible to avoid. That's fine. We, we need a good show mascot, I think. For me, my tibble is that, um, well, I guess it starts as a, as a good thing, but transitions in a bad thing. So this weekend, I'm playing in the, uh, the qualifier, the weekend qualifier for hitting Mythic. And this one I got into specifically because... Uh, I had gotten six wins in the previous one. So it kindly bumped me to the next one because I couldn't get that seventh win, which, ooh, man, still a little salty about that. But it's it's fine. I'm over it. Not over it. Uh, no, I'm over it. I'm over it. Anyway, that's a good thing. But the bad thing is that I've been super busy with work, been grading a lot of stuff, been doing a lot of lesson planning. I've been getting ahead, which is good, but that takes effort. So I haven't had as much time to play standard. I've been focusing mostly on limited. And I had some sick games in limited recently. Some I'm having a lot of fun with uh, Zendikar still. but. That being said, I don't really know what I'm playing yet, and uh, I'll probably just pick up like Black Green Rock or something and <laughs> attempt to win some games. But I don't know. Maybe I'll try out that Sultai deck that, that we were talking about a bit earlier. Or maybe I'll just play Yurian. I don't know. I like Yurian decks. Who knows? Wait, did you just say you like a deck that has blue cards in it? <sighs> yeah, I know. Every once in a blue moon, I will actually pick up a Yurian deck. Are people? What is it right now? Are people playing Jeskai Yurian or Blue White Yurian? I've seen Five Color, I've seen Jeskai, and I've seen blue white uh blue white seems to be the most consistent version of the deck yeah that makes sense i guess red wants to play the bone crushers but flickering that with yorian doesn't even do anything uh, i played the blue white one a few times and i found it pretty impressive maybe i'll do that but i don't know um if you got ideas join the discord and at me <laughs> send me your your broken standard decks that i should try to use to spike this thing anyway my it's a fairy for the week is uh i got art prints i got a bunch of prints in the mail uh, i don't know if, the, if I, do I have them nearby no, I don't. I don't have many in Dubai, but I ordered a, a few of my favorite Magic the Gathering art. Uh, I got a Tireless Tracker, which is my favorite card of all time, and I got a Baneslayer Angel print. So I don't know. I'm probably going to toss those up behind me as we start streaming more. I'd like to decorate the, the area behind, you know, make it look a little pretty. So and I, I think filling that with good art is a way to do that. Yeah, that's sweet. Those are two good, good, like ignoring the cards themselves. They're good prints anyway. Great art on those mm-hmm. cards. <laughs> the cards themselves aren't bad either. That's true. That brings us to our listener question of the week. This week we have one question. Bat Wheels from our Discord asks, Hey guys, I've been listening to podcasts and watching people draft for a few sets now, and I feel like I'm missing a piece of the puzzle. Understanding the experience needed before you have a format, quote unquote, figured out. How many drafts do you need before you feel like you understand the format? Interesting question. And I hate to just slam the old, uh, it's contextual, <laughs> easy button, but... 
it is contextual, right? So it, uh, first of all, it does depend on the format. Some formats are easier to crack than others, right? Core sets tend to have abilities and themes that are a bit more friendly to, to newer players. For example, when Mutate was spoiled and for the first few weeks of, uh, of Ikoria, no one knew what was happening. No one knew it, what, how good it was exactly. But M21 came around and it took like a few days and a few popular streamers drafting these low, like one drop, two drop, three drop aggro decks before people realized, yeah, this is what you should be doing. So with Zendikar Rising, I found this one to be moderately i'd probably put it as like a six out of ten on the complicated scale mostly thanks to uh, deck building challenges with the flip lands right I, I think the gameplay kind of works itself out for the most part so i would say i don't know sh should we put a number on this i don't know about that how many how many drafts do you need exactly i would say it all it also depends on like the life of the format if the format's not super diverse like for I, I, yeah like you're saying contextually M21 probably took maybe three drafts, maybe two to realize like, yeah, you just want to be aggressive here. Uh, and I think playing mm -hmm. best of three helps you understand that faster than best of one does, but they are different environments. So best of one tends to favor aggro decks because of the way that arena does its best of one uh, shenanigans with uh, like hand filtering and such. But I think typically for me personally, it tends to take somewhere between like three to five actual drafts to understand the general flow of yeah this is how the format's doing but also a lot of formats evolve over time as players get better at correcting right because draft is self-correcting both in the draft itself and also the environment of draft the meta of draft kind of corrects itself so for me it's like three to five but i'm always evaluating and before a new set comes out i tend to run a bunch of simulated drafts on like draft sim just to get a feel for how the cards come in packs and and putting which cards together and how that feels so i would say Three to five real drafts with a few added just drafts without playing the decks. Yeah, I'd probably say a few more for myself. I, I like trying weird things in the beginning of the formats. I love picking the rares that uh, people thought were controversial uh, or ones that may or may not work. And I like just jamming them and seeing what to do. So sometimes I, I might kneecap myself in the first few drafts just to, to get some good fun in and, and see if things work or what doesn't. That being said, I would say before I feel confident in like a drafting portion, probably like maybe somewhere around 10 uh, like passing draft portions uh, before I feel like I, I have a really solid idea of what's happening. Maybe more uh, because something that I know Zach and I both value is self-improvement. And I don't think th there, there's no cap, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think there's any point in the format ever where I say, all right, I've got this down, unless it's like a relatively straightforward format. So something like this, um, you, you can have it down and you can know all the little tricks that there are. But even then, I don't know, it, it's a very... That's part of why this game is so cool, right? You can always find new things. There's always different combinations of cards. And especially in this set where there's such interesting dynamics between party and tribal, there's always new little interactions that can come up. So I, I think as long as you have the mindset of you're constantly learning, then it uh, doesn't, doesn't matter too much about how many you actually end up getting before you feel like you're confident in it, right? But as for the gameplay, I would say similarly, maybe like three or four before I, I figure out what's going on in the games themselves. Mm -hmm. And then they, I kind of use that to inform my draft process. And then that leads to that wrapping up. So yeah, there uh, is that twofold kind of system, right? Where you're seeing what actually comes together as a cohesive deck. And then also how do those cohesive decks play out in the games portion where you're trying to sequence things and understand how certain cards interact together, which doesn't necessarily pop out at you during the draft portion. I think also at like this point in time, right? This day and age, so to speak, the amount of drafts you do is bolstered by the content you consume as well. There's just so much content out there for limited right now with all the podcasts, different videos and such that like folks like the CFB people do all, all of that kind of stuff that also help you because those are like virtual drafts that you aren't doing yourself, but get to introspectively kind of make all the same decisions on. And a lot of times when I'm watching draft videos or listening to people draft, I'll pause the video on a pick before the pick happens and think to myself, how would I go about this pick? Okay, play. Oh, they they had a completely different mindset about this than me. Why? And then, you know, try to gauge things that way. And that helps as well, which prevent, like, you don't have to do the drafts yourself in an actual gameplay perspective to uh, to do that. Good question, Batwheels. I think ultimately just keep drafting and, uh, you know, keep having fun with it. And that, that yeah. then eventually you, you get better and, and self-improve, right? So 
Let's get into our main topic today. So like you said, we're about halfway through the format. At this point, uh, I do feel like I've got a decent idea about what's going on. Of course, we are still learning. And as I will mention a little bit, I'm still seeing new things, which is why this game's awesome, right? But uh, it's definitely become quite an interesting format. We want to cover a whole bunch of topics. Format impressions, what we think about the party tribal synergy, a bit about the set design and power level, some top decks, favorite cards, you know, just kind of like a general check-in about the state of the format. Yeah. So far, I think we're both in consensus here, Ben. It's a sweet format. ZNR is great. There are so many different open lanes you can be in. There are so many different decks. They all play out kind of differently, even if you're in the same color combos or same archetype as as somebody else, or you're building the same archetype two decks in a row. From draft Mm -hmm. to draft, they change. And the way DFCs have kind of muddled things, mixed things up a bit, has been really awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're no longer seeing those ridiculous like 10 DFC four-color piles, sadly. <laughs> the, the people have ever started to uh, evaluate DFCs correctly and take them where they should be taken. But um, yeah, the presence of a good mix of, of viable strategies. We were talking last week about what makes a, a limited format fun or, or like a favorite for us. And this has got a lot of the boxes. It's got interesting gameplay. It's got aggressive strategies. It's got defensive strategies. There's some games, there's some decks that want to draw no more than four lands, and there's some decks that want to hit their eighth land drop, and both can be successful, and that's sweet, that's that's fun, gives people choices, and people like that. Absolutely, and there are like small little combo decks, or like like couple card combos you can put together, we'll get to some of them later as well. So yeah, there really is a whole range, there's aggro, there's combo, there's mid-range, there's somewhat controly decks and uh, kind of one of the big uh, tropes of limited magic is that every deck is really just a flavor of mid-range so you don't have true mm-hmm. aggro or true control but this is one of the formats i think we've seen in a long time that is approaching actual i mean m21 had actual aggro let's let's just throw mm-hmm. that out there yeah, but, yeah yeah but this is one of the form one of the first formats in a long time that is really getting us to very very close to actual aggro actual mid-range and actual control all in the same format very big difference in, in card quality and type, right? So let's get into, uh, I, I call this little section party and tribal because this is one of the most interesting things to me about this format. The, the tension in every deck. Is it a party deck or is it a tribal deck, right? So there's payoffs for party and tribes in pretty much every color pair. So you could have a color pair deck that is doing, let's say like blue-green, for example. It could be a kicker deck or it could be a wizard's deck. Who knows? It could be like a party deck sometimes. And it really all just depends on what you open and what you get past, which makes the drafting portion really interesting because it, you have to start counting like mid-draft. How many wizards am I at? How many clerics am I at? Ooh, do I want this card that uh, pays me off for having this thing, that, that are these wizards and clerics, uh, like a party payoff that I already have? Or do I want to pick up this wizard payoff and start to move into that instead? I really like the fact that there are uh, these different tribes that, that go along with the main ones, right? When this set got introduced, we thought, okay, blue-red wizards, black-white clerics, blue-black rogues, but blue-green wizards is a thing. Black-red rogues, I had a sick deck that was black-red and mostly rogues. Um, I've seen a green-white wizards deck once, and the, the list goes on. Um, I had a black-white rogues deck actually a little while ago too. That one was pretty sweet. Some of these seem like, uh, some of these cards uh, that seem to go in these tribal decks, these tribal cards, they're actually the ones that are actually one color are really two colors technically think scion of the swarm right so it's a three black black but it's pretty bad outside the black white clerics deck or uh, any deck that doesn't have a core celebrant or two or five um and some that seem like they would be tribal cards actually have a lot of flexibility so like expedition diviner for example great in blue red wizards but it can also work in a blue-green Wizards deck. Yeah, and then all of those cards also just slot into any party deck you want to put them in because, well, they all have one of the core like tenants of or one of the core classes or creature subtypes of the party theme. So I really like the way you phrase that there as like a tension between the decks because in this format, you know, we're used to, as limited players, we're used to drafting colors. We're used to drafting, and we, we talked about this in one of our previous episodes but we're used to drafting colors we're used to putting those colors together and saying we have a blue black deck and that's that's what we're doing and the blue black deck wants to do x but in this format you have to you have to manage the colors you're drafting because you obviously don't want to end up with just some random five color pile in most cases so you have that little puzzle you're trying to put together in the middle of the draft 
But then you also have this other puzzle of while you're drafting those colors, you want to be figuring out, okay, I'm in blue-green. Am I in a kicker deck or am I in a wizard's deck? Where, what is my wizard's count? What is my kicker count? What are my kicker payoffs? What are my wizard's payoffs? And you have all of these things going on while you're also trying to make sure you're picking up enough cards in your colors to maintain a, a cohesive deck. But I've, I've seen a lot of decks in this format not come together even though you picked up all the red cards you saw and all the white cards you saw, and they were all good quality cards. One of our listeners actually, Turbo Ninja, uh, they put a, a really interesting deck in our Discord. It was a red-white deck. It had two Cargan War Leaders, the, that's the Warrior Lord, uh, Legion Angel, a bunch of Warrior 2 drops, uh, Teeter Peak Ambushers, all those. But it also had Thundering Spark Mage, Squad Commander, Shatter Skull Minotaur. These are party payoffs, right? So in this one deck, depending on the draw, it could function like a warrior's beatdown deck, like curving warrior into warrior lord, or it could uh, just drop a few different things. And I don't actually think it made it a worse deck to have that split between its its focuses, because I think the power level was there in either case. I think this was the right build for it, which is really really weird. Yeah, you <laughs> would cool. think. Yeah, you would think that having half your deck be warriors and then the other half be party stuff would make the party side really weak and like similarly make your warrior side weak because you could have taken all those party of payoffs and made the warrior payoffs instead but like you're saying there ben it kind of didn't and in this case i think turbo trophied with that deck if i don't if i recall correctly if not they had a good run so Mm -hmm. yeah it just works sometimes and actually my most recent draft was a similar deck to this it wasn't quite as powerful but i did end up with a warrior's kind of theme and uh, a shatter skull minotaur or two and, and things of that nature but yeah there's this weird tension that sometimes just balances out and works very well where where your tribe and your party just come together and it works. So I'm actually really high on the pack beast right now because it actually falls in the very center of this tension. It is both a tribal card and a party payoff or a party enabler rather. It'll, it works as a warrior in your warrior tribe deck, right? It also works as a whatever party member you're missing in your party deck. So for example, in a red white warriors deck like that, you always want to see that in your opening hand because then you know whatever you top deck, whether it is a Cargan War Leader, will buff it. But then something like, um, what is it, Expedition, um, oh no, Squad Commander. Squad Commander will see it and, and see it as a party member. So then it's actually helping enable both of these things. And not every deck has this. Sometimes the tension breaks and it, you fall on one of the either sides, right? You could have a strict tribal deck or a focused party deck. But Pack Beast will be a great serviceable two drop in either of them. Not to mention, I've actually splashed with it. You know, it, it works. It's functional. Yeah, it's not the prettiest mana rock we've seen, but it, it does work. And like you said, I actually thought, like, when I first saw Pack Beast spoiled, I thought to myself, okay, it's cool. It's all the, the party types at once. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's going to be fun. It'll help the party deck be a thing. But the mana thing doesn't matter because it's too expensive. Yeah. And like you're saying, it's kind of not the case. In some decks, it actually helps you splash, especially off the back of MDFCs where you can kind of cheat an extra color into your deck without any real cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it can be it can be a real linchpin. And and I think that's the exact role that it has in this format. You are never sad to see a pack beast in a pack. It's kind of taken on the skittering surveyor, um, the sky scanner, like that, that colorless little dork that everyone's kind of happy to see get past them. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I do want one of those in my deck, actually. Uh, this one kind of works with this set. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that covers most of what we wanted to talk about with the party tribal stuff. Let's move on to set design. The set design, just in general, the way that they were able to bring together all of these different things without making them clash in such a way that it was noticeable or that it actually broke the format down like this tension that you're saying while there's a tension between deck building and trying to find your lane and that happening on multiple axes with different color choices and then your your actual deck composition choices that easily in a, in a different world easily could have broken down and just made this format completely unplayable mm-hmm. but set design yeah. nailed it this time around yeah like, and and you mentioned here in our show notes that this reminds you of ixalan but instead of four tribes, there are like 13 tribes because <laughs> all of the colors yeah. form more than one archetype. And, and the archetypes in this format really aren't color dependent. They kind of gray the, or blur the lines between all the colors. Yeah. So Ixalan was the last time that I can remember when we had super dedicated tribal type stuff. We've had stuff like in Ikoria, there were humans decks, right? But in, in uh, Ixalan, it was you want to pick up the merfolk and you want to pick up the merfolk payoffs. And that was it. If you didn't find your lane, there was nothing like 
pack beast or party where you would eventually get paid off for having multiple things. It was if you were playing like blue green and you had a mix of merfolk and dinosaurs, it wasn't going to be a very cohesive deck, not compared to a red green dinosaurs or blue green strictly mer- merfolk, right? In this one, it kind of feels the same way. Like there are these very narrow channels that you can fall into. Red white warriors, blue black rogues, blue red wizards, blue green kicker, right? A lot of the better decks in the format. But instead of there just being the four tribes, uh, which led to that being a pretty unfun draft experience when you got cut from your tribe, there's like a million of them. Like you said, I I think there's probably around between 12 and 15 types of of tribe, quote unquote, that you can fall into with uh, a lot of the color pairs doing double duty, uh, as we mentioned earlier. Like blue green can support a kicker deck, but can also support a wizard's deck. I had a black white a cleric slash rogues deck that had this weird rogues package and also a clerics package and uh, party payoffs. And, and it worked. I, something that's kind of my evidence for this is that I often see powerful cards going late, which I think is okay. And as I, as I see them wheel, right? Um, sometimes I'll see like, I don't know, random big card draw spells or, or removal spells wheel. And I'll look at my deck that I've got going on. And sometimes it's just not for me. For example, Feed the Swarm, right? Sometimes I'll be in a uh, like a green-black deck that doesn't have any ways of getting life, or, or like a red-black deck where playing something like a too many Feed the Swarms can be a real cost. That's kind of what I was mentioning, how some of them are almost more like, like gold cards than they appear. This one is a, a kind of a gold-white-black card, but black decks still definitely want one. Uh, the second one, though, starts to get rough. So you see this powerful removal spell going late, and you're like, well, yeah, it's just not for me. Uh, it, someone else is going to want it, and then someone else is probably going to take it. Now, this, this format, kind of similar to Ixalan, does re- reward you for finding your lane, uh, because in that case, there's cards going around that are powerful that people tend to not want except you. So sometimes, if you're the only one in lane 7 out of 15, you're going to pick up some of the cool things that you need later on uh, that no one else wants, right? Like an inscription, for example, or like a Valakut exploration, stuff that people aren't interested in generally because they're focused on their, their deck, but then you're willing to just snap up late. Yeah, you also run into these situations where, and I think this kind of disturbs the the limited puzzle that we've been used to, and I like it for that. It kind of messes up the status quo a little bit, but mm-hmm. signals are weird in the middle packs. Like, pack two signals mm. can be really weird because you'll see this situation you're describing here where a powerful removal spell gets past you, maybe pick two or something, and, well, yeah. it's not in your colors or it's not in your archetype, so you pass it. But then it wheels. You're like, wait a second, why did nobody pick up this be- the best black common or something? And there, yeah. you know, based on previous picks, that you're not the only black drafter at the table. And it's one of those interesting situations where it's like, wait, who's drafting black and what version of black are they drafting? Because everybody yeah, yeah. should want this card. But then you, you look at your own deck and you're like, wait, I don't even want this card. Yeah. So it, there's yeah. this weird tension that's outside of the archetype tension where draft signals and pick signals are kind of also blurred and i think that shifts the dynamic of limited quite a bit and it's it's been refreshing i've liked it the reason that i one of the reasons at least that i love limited so much is the draft portion it's unlike anything else in magic standard players they they don't even know what they're missing right it's so unique especially in this kind of set where we have this mdfc nonsense going on and then we have all these other uh, mechanic based nonsense things going on it's fun to draft uh, there's so many different things that can happen it's not like M21, where if I was drafting red white, I just I, I look at a pack and within like two seconds, I know what I'm picking. That was a relatively straightforward draft format. Uh, kind of going back to the question of the week, right? Like there are some formats where you do eventually figure out what it is. But in this format, there's a lot of different combinations of things that I'm still like experiencing. Uh, a lot of the rares and things, especially because they kind of serve as like the, the cherry on top of these archetypes. So different versions of these decks with different garnish, uh, different cool little rares that do different things uh, can lead to some really fun play experiences. Definitely. And I think that's uh, one, one other question that people float around pretty frequently is like, is this a insert number of drafts here format? Like, is this a 50 draft format or is this a 100 draft format? And a lot of people, I think, were off M21 pretty early. I know you were. Um, yeah. A lot of people did really like, like, I know the LR folks seem to like m21 quite a bit their sunset show sounded like they were they were pretty high on the format overall but this is like this is like a triple digit format you could draft and and it sounds like you have as far as i know draft like 100 plus drafts of this format and only see a few of the same decks really overall like 
and and still enjoy every time you sit down at the table to draft the the decks and that is that's huge it set itself up really well for not getting old Definitely. <laughs> to, to put it like that so let's talk about the power level of this set I think, again, it's kind of a, a nice refresher on, on some good, clean magic fun. Uh, I think clerics and rogues can both feel like pretty powerful engines, especially because they have um, a lot of good enablers and payoffs at common. But they're not undefeatable. They're very interactable. Like, if you're able to take out the pieces of them, they don't do their thing anymore. I think these ones in particular can feel the strongest because they have stuff like Blood Beckoning or Thwart the Grave to get their key pieces back. Like I said, most of which are at common. There's a, there's another dynamic as well that this format presents, which is uh, power level. It's it's a bit of a scale in this format. You don't really have too many like ultra powerful rares that the second they play them, you just lose the game, which is great. Mm-hmm. I think that's very healthy for the format. But you also have these decks that even without like powerful rares can be hyper tuned, right? The black white cleric deck, black white clerics deck could have cleric of life's bond, and it could have two or three celebrants and two or three marauding blight priests. And like a blood beckoning or two, a couple of deadly alliances. And then it's like, okay, how am I supposed to beat this? And so those decks can get super tuned. You can get some very tuned tribal decks. The party decks can do the same thing. A black white, par- mm-hmm. a black red party deck rather with a lot of the big party payoffs, spark mage and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Really can feel unbeatable without massive bombs. But also the lower end of the spectrum, the, the less powerful decks still feel like they can win games. Like, they, they don't feel disappointing necessarily. I mean, they're disappointing in context, right? Because you know there are better yeah. decks to draft. But in a vacuum, they don't feel like bad decks. And I think that's that's also healthy because you don't walk away from the table. Even though you know you had kind of a messy draft, you don't necessarily walk away from the table feeling like, oh, this is garbage and I'm just going to, you know, I may as well just drop and get to another draft. And we've seen in our Discord a few instances of people saying, well, this was a mess, but then I ended up doing really well. And I think that comes back to the whole party tribal thing where all these archetypes are so blurred that you can actually scrape together a deck that didn't seem like it existed after you get mm-hmm. your whole pool together. Yeah, for sure. So let's go over a few of the top decks and archetypes real quick. I know a lot of like magic content creators have been talking about these, but I don't know if we have too much new information to say. I think uh, clerics, kicker, black red party, wizards, uh, th- these feel like the, the, the top to me. Not in that order, though. I- I'd say... Probably clerics is my top. And then I, I haven't had wizards. Wizards can be very good, but I think it relies a lot on the uncommon payoffs. I think after that, uh, kicker and black red party are my, my top two other picks. Maybe black red party a little bit higher. And then uh, I put wizards just, just beneath them, but they're, they're all pretty high up there. Yeah, I, I think I'm on board with you. The power level in this format is interesting because it really also, like I said, depends on the, the tunedness of the deck. Because, like, mm-hmm. I think if you were just talking generically, like an average level deck, uh, Clerics is probably the best, and then Party's probably above Kicker. But I think the tuned Kicker decks are better than the Party decks because mm, you yeah, have, okay. like, a Roost of Drakes or two and a Vine Gecko or two and, oh, yeah, like, a couple yeah. of Riptides, some Into the Royals, and then that deck's just like, wait, what? <laughs> How am I supposed to beat yeah. this? Yep. So there, there's a spectrum there, too. And I think having all of these little knobs that can be tuned throughout the draft make it, again, one that you just want to keep coming back to. So I also think there's some pretty strong signpost on commons in this format. Uh, cleric of Life's Bond is kind of the poster child for this. Seeing a turn two cleric is like, oh, great. Like, do I have a kill spell for it? Uh, I, I've actually, I've taken back my statement from a previous episode. The, the the statement that I think if I had to ban a card from the format, it'd be that. Zulaport Duelist is not my new my new vote. I, I don't I don't like it at all. I think it's what? bad. It's it's annoying, dude. So so when you ram your two drop into their like one open mana, and you're like, how could this go wrong? And then you're like, oh wait a minute, this has one toughness. No, and then they always have it. You know, just they just don't it. do that though. But when I play a two drop, I I naturally I'm so trained to attack with it that I I don't want to have to go see if my opponent has an island up. That's so much work, dude. I thought I had trained you for that. Like all <laughs> of your career in Magic, should it be? Do they have blue mana? <laughs> Assume island. Oh, I had I had a terrible instance where they actually flashed in two of them at once. They had Ooh. two blue mana up, and and that did not go very well for me. Yeah, I can get that. Cleric of Life's Bond is still just way way too bonkers. <laughs> that that's true. I've also found a uh, green white landfall slash getting lands not the best deck in the format but when you start with a turn two marasa root grazer and curve it into the, the landfall creatures any of them really it hurts that that's a very tough draw to beat 
you don't really want to kill the root grazer because it's just their two drop and it doesn't really do too much. You'd rather point it at uh, one of their actual, you know, cards that's doing something like the Prowler or that type of thing. I don't know. Yeah, it's but, tough. Uh, there's also uh, Soaring Thought Thief from the Blue Black deck. Turn two Thought Thief is also a, a beating. It, that that can that's one of the ways to get the mill deck actually going pretty early. Yeah, that's not like there's a mill deck in this format. Like, <laughs> kind of. Who doesn't find something to like in here? Yeah, that's the other thing too, because like the the blue black deck isn't really a mill deck. We've talked about this a few times. It's kind of one of those like just get eight cards and then kill them with damage. But mm. there also happens to be an actual mill deck if you can pick up a ruin grab or two and like a few of the other like um, a relic golem and and a few of the other cards of that nature. Like you can actually mill yeah. your opponent out in this format. Yeah, I've seen it done. So what are your what are some of your favorite cards in this set? Yeah, so for me, hands down, this the core celebrant marauding blight priest combo is like my favorite thing to do mm. full stop in this whole format. So those two cards yeah. are great. Celebrant in particular is just wild to me because it triggers on any creature, so it doesn't care about cleric at all. It's also mm. a one yeah. four, so it blocks like everything and doesn't yep. die to almost any like you need a thundering rebuke it or debt or use non like uh, unconditional removal on it. And otherwise, it's just a one four, so you feel really bad to spend your really premium removal on it. But you mm-hmm. throw down a marauding blight priest, and then you're just like, wait a second, they're gaining too much life, and now they're pinging me. And what? Am, how am I going to win this? And even if I don't, like, if I get get rid of the blight priest, they're gaining too much life for me to race them anyway. So yeah, I've actually started killing it on sight. Uh, I, I think it's that good. Yeah, uh, I think it, that's it's correct. also one of the key pieces of the deck. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if if the the cleric's deck doesn't find celebrants, it tends to not come together. Definitely not those like hyper tuned versions of it at, at least they they really need them and a lot of the payoffs scion of the swarm and cleric of life's bond really need that life gain and having yeah. a reliable way to do it when you're just casting stuff you want to cast anyway is is super big how about you so yeah so as for me um i, I actually i passed crawling barons for the first time yesterday when i i picked a i was in uh i was in black white clerics and I opened pack three. The rare was Crawling Barons and an uncommon was Cleric of Life Spot. And I was like, oh, fate, why would you do this to me? Because obviously you got to take the Cleric there. I didn't have one yet and I was a little let on two drops and it was uh, it had to go in my deck. But I love Crawling Barons. I love Manlands. Uh, I'm so high on them. It adds an extra spell to your deck where all of your lands are already spells in some way. Like it's it's great. I really like the white commons in this uh, in this set farsight adept shepherd of heroes and core celebrant i just like how they play and um it's it, between this and if uh, thinking back to like anointed chorister and Bazar's acolyte i've loved where white has been going in limited i know it sometimes gets a, a bad rap in like constructed and uh, don't even start me on commander there's like two playable mono white cards but yeah 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 that's about right but um in limited, at least, it's having a great home. Like we're seeing all these different unique effects, putting counters on things, drawing us, drawing cards. Like a white card that draws me a card, it, it draws them a card too. But it draws me a card, and that's what I care about. Plus all the like little life gain synergies that you mentioned. Yeah, and um, they they kind of gave it a home too, where I think a lot of times, I think one of the biggest reasons, even in limited, that white has been well a little lackluster, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as of late has been it doesn't really feel like it has a home and for those yeah. who are longtime magic fans you're probably pretty familiar with the color pie newer players might not be but there has been uh this notion of the magic color pie obviously there are five colors and then there's like colorless cards and such but each of the colors in magic's lore and its history as a game has been known for doing a thing like they've all been known for doing certain things and that's one of the reasons feed the swarm was so controversial people didn't like black having enchantment removal that's like a new thing like we haven't seen that before in in really any large capacity and so we're kind of finding like white doesn't really have a home for the the color pie thing it used to be like life gain was its home and that's not really enough especially in limited it's just not enough most of the time it's nice to see it actually get a home with like the party stuff is is what i'm trying to say uh, I, i've also i've had a lot of fun curving core celebrant into attended healer it's one of my favorite two card combos in this set i will i will take that two card combo every single time i had a black white cleric deck where i had two core celebrants two attended healers i had a drana i had everything that deck was so much fun to play one of the like easiest trophies i ever had yeah that sounds awesome so what are you still looking forward to in this format 
Yeah, so I, I won't spoil yours, but you and I have a similar problem there. Uh, we'll look into that in a second. But I haven't really drafted a strong black red party deck or white red warriors deck. My most mm-hmm. recent draft was a white red warriors deck, but it only kind of got there. Like I'm like O2 right now, so it didn't really get there. But like as a deck, it all it kind of got there. And it's one of those like warrior hybrid uh, warrior party hybrid decks, but. Yeah, I haven't really drafted the black red party deck, and I've seen how powerful it can be with Zagreus and like all the other uh, black and red payoffs for the deck. So I'd mm. really love to get that going. But um, red dries up really fast. I don't know if it's necessarily the strongest color in the format, but it's up there. Like I think it's one of the cards, one of the colors that has like the biggest spread of just powerful commons. Like there are just so many good ones. Yeah, that's why I find that black red party does often come together. I think. I, I have black ahead by just a little bit as best color in the format. I, I feel best when I'm first picking like a, a Blood Chief's Thirst or something like that. But um, I think, yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I've had a few red-white Warriors decks come together. I want to get a few more games in where I get a true like red-white enchant or a red-white equipment Warriors decks. I get some of the uh, the equipment jank going. I've actually, like, like we said, I've probably drafted this set like about a hundred times. And I haven't gotten to play Leyline Tyrant. Like there's a there's a a dragon in a set that I haven't played yet, and yeah, it's a mythic. But I've seen I think every other mythic in the set, at least wow. seen it in draft. But I've never actually had the opportunity to pick a leyline tyrant. I've just never seen it. Neither have I. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, that card sounds ridiculous too. And I've seen it played in like constructed formats, and it is ridiculous. And in limited, I can't even imagine. Um, yeah. I think I've played against it once in limited. I could be I could be confusing a constructed game I had with a limited game I had, but. Um, I, I've actually killed it a few times in limited. It didn't. It didn't get the chance to do too much because you know I draft good decks with good removal. But <laughs> but <laughs> oh well, that actually reminds me. That's something we didn't really touch on too much. But uh, as far as like quality of colors goes in this format, black and red kind of have the removal thing on lock. Like blue, if you're stuck in blue and green, you have very little opportunity to actually remove cards in a in a meaningful, significant way. Yeah. It's tough. I wonder if that was their way of trying to create some sort of, uh, I don't know, some some sort of ramp, ramping goal for the blue green deck. They they wanted to be able to go over the top, so they they maybe they thought if um if they gave it too much good removal, then the the kicker deck could even take an even slower time to like just play a land every turn. Instead, I, I find the kicker decks to be best when you're doing a little bit of ramping or, or getting lands out instead. Yeah, that's true. I think, yeah, maybe it would just be too powerful. And the idea was like, we'll we'll give them bubble snare and into the royal so they can kind of tempo out and stem the bleeding a little bit. Yeah, so yeah. So they can get to the big stuff. That could be it. Uh, but sometimes it feels really bad when they when your opponent slams something and you're just like, I have no card in my deck that can deal with this. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, I think that about does it for us this week. That's kind of a a little like through the looking glass with with Ben and Zach on, on Zendikar <laughs> Rising uh, about halfway through the format. Of course, we'll be back with our format farewell at the end of the the format's uh, lifespan. And honestly, um, I'm hoping this one comes back on some uh, quick draft cycles or even premier draft cycles or whatever. Anytime this is draftable, I will probably be slamming some drafts. Same here. Yeah. Uh, Actually, we were just talking in our Discord about some of the upcoming stuff that we're we're looking forward to on the horizon. We were saying a bit earlier about Kaladesh Remastered. That's going to be fun. Oh, yeah. So uh, this is kind of going to lead into our last little discord plug here hop on the discord uh it's just fun if there's one thing that you're going to do whether it's a like a patreon i don't know i guess do that too uh patreon like following us on twitter or any of that stuff um i think hopping in the discord is the thing that has been the most fun for for people to do right like we've just talking to all of you that listen to this has been so great for zach and i um absolutely we, we've been learning like what kind of things are interested in seeing sharing deck lists uh sharing advice and feedback and honestly, just having a community of people in uh, this ridiculous world that we live in that, you know, I, I can check my phone and I know that there's going to be some people talking about the last few drafts in there and having a good time. So definitely recommend checking out the Discord. Yeah. And small little aside to that as well. Like one of my favorite things so far with it has been like actually getting to know folks. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. can see without without reading the, the username when I get a like a push notification on my phone, I can be I can read the message and be like, oh, that's probably this person because I've started to get a vibe for for who that person is in some way, shape, or form and learn a little bit about them. So that's been awesome. Thanks to you guys who are contributing. And if you aren't yet, it's never too late. Also, if you're so inclined, check out the Patreon. It's at patreon.com forward slash draft Uh We have all sorts of different tiers there for 
anything you could really be interested in. We have some stickers we're we're sending out for that. Oh um, yeah. We still have one one uh, spot left for the founder tier, which involves live coaching with Ben and I. So hop on that if that's your thing. Um, otherwise, we'll catch you next week. Oh, uh, one last thing. We also have our socials, so you can find all of these links that we've been talking about, the Discord, the Patreon, also our socials in the uh, episode description, as well as on Twitter. Real quick, the Twitter handles are DraftChaffPod for the podcast, at RanikGalfridian for myself, and at Betafish1 for Ben. Uh, and you can also message the uh, podcast directly at DraftChaffPod at gmail.com. That'll do it for us. And yeah, uh, so for this sign we off. have it's a gonna be bit of a special episode next week. It's it's our first episode of whoa, a... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold a, on. A bit of a special episode is a <laughs> super understatement. But anyway, continue. Okay, okay. So we're, we're doing a new format. It's going to be... Um, we're going to have a special guest and we're going to have a bit of a, a Q&A session just to hang out, uh, learn a little bit about them, chat limited with them, uh, just hang out and talk, have some fun, hopefully. Um However, we're not going to announce who officially. We want to leave some suspense. But um, on a totally unrelated note, I was thinking about making a new tribal commander deck, Zach. Do you want to hear about it? Yeah, sure. Lay it on me. So um, I was thinking about making like a soldier tribal deck, uh, except exclusively like that. What's the rank? Um, I'm not very good, but I think it's like um, when you're in charge of like a small group of, of people. I think it's called like a marshal. Right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. That that sounds that sounds right. Yeah. So you can play like Hazda Marshall, um, Marshall's Anthem. Oh, you can't you can't miss Ben Elish Marshall, of course. Of course. Angelic Field Marshall, uh, Dauntless River <clears throat> Marshall. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it could come together really well. Although it's looking like there's only 19 creature types uh, of of Marshall in Magic. So. Okay. Maybe I need to do a little more research. Well, I mean, you could throw other cards in there, like, um, you know, like the Skyclave Pickaxe, which is good on cliffs and other faces. Uh, you could you could add in like Clifftop Retreat, um, get in get in a few cards that involve cliffs as well, because like you know you got to train on different terrains, right? So I think that's fine. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we want our warriors and and soldiers and whatever else to be to be nice and versatile. Yeah. So marshals and uh, cliffs. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs>